that your love may abound more and more, knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that this letter written to the Philippians God was inspired by your Holy Spirit so that even now we can look at it and gain your teaching, your truth, so that we can better walk in a way that pleases you as a church and as individuals. God, I pray that you would open your word to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in this prayer... The main point of the prayer is that their love would abound more and more, and everything that follows is on top of that. What does it mean that their love would abound? It's, there's no object of that love given. It's just that their love would abound more and more. And, and this love is, is obviously already abounding, um, but he's, he's praying that it would abound more. Where is this coming from? Well, in, in verse 6, uh, that's the work that God began in them, and it's continuing. It's fundamentally a work of love. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's his love that God is working in them, um, and, and there's evidence of it. You see, Paul's joy... Uh, for them, and, and we'll see it throughout, is just this, this love that Paul has for the Philippians, the Philippians have for Paul, um, and, and we see it there uh, in, in verse 3. It's the reason for his joy and prayer. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making prayer joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Your partnership in the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the love of God. When was that first day until now? He's saying, I, my, my prayers with joy for you all, uh, because of your partnership in the gospel, well, that, that partnership in the gospel from the first day to now, that, that was persecution from the beginning. Uh, that, that was there with, with Paul in the beginning, dealing with, with persecution. That, that's even a partnership that that we find out with Paul now in Rome, the Philippian church in their love for Paul and care for Paul sent Aphroditus uh, to go and, and encourage him and, and to bring him gifts and, and to love on him. And, and while Epaphroditus was there, Epaphroditus got sick and now they're concerned about Epaphroditus and he got sick almost to the point of death. Uh, but then he got better and so when Paul sent this letter to them, he sent Epaphroditus with the letter so that they would be encouraged. You see, just this this environment of love that's already there and joy. And he says from the first day until now, what was that first day? When Paul entered Philippi. And it, it wasn't, a, there wasn't enough of a Jewish presence to have a synagogue, but they had a place of prayer down by the river. And so, so Paul went down there to the river and, and there was ladies there that were praying and, and he spoke about Jesus. There was a lady, Lydia, there. God opened her heart to what, what Paul was saying. And, and she was baptized and came to know Jesus. 
That was the beginning. That was from the first day for her. And she ended up opening up her house as a place for believers to meet. And they walked in the streets preaching salvation through Jesus. And ultimately, uh, Paul and Silas, who was with them, uh, were taken before the authorities and magistrates, tore their clothes off, and, and ordered them to be beaten with rods and thrown in jail. And he had this Philippian jailer there who... Close to midnight, he's falling asleep, but Paul and Silas are, are there in the heart of the prison uh, in stocks and worshiping and praising Jesus. And all the rest of the prisoners hear that. And God causes this earthquake that shakes the very foundation, and all the doors open, and all the stocks are open. And, and the jailer, he, he wakes up thinking, oh no, the prisoners have all escaped, and he takes out a sword to kill himself. Better that than to face what the Romans would do to you. Paul yells out, we're still here. And this jailer who had heard Paul talking about salvation through Jesus Christ, his heart is suddenly open, wide open. He rushes to Paul and says, how can I be saved? Believe in Jesus Christ. And you'll be saved. Jesus, he came to know salvation. That was the beginning. That was day one. So now, that jailer, and Lydia, and many others have gathered. And at this point, there's, there's elders and deacons. It's an established body of believers there. From that first day that they came to know Jesus, this work of love has been happening in their life. I want to go through and look at how this love that abounds more and more, abounding love, what is that about? How do we exercise that? How do we be a part of that? How do we be a church that is abounding in love? And what is this talking about? The first point I have for us, just as it was for the Philippians, the love is first found only in Jesus. It's found in Jesus. We can't know it apart from God. It's not the love that we know before we came to Jesus. There's many expressions of love, what love means, uh, to us in the world and, and in our own experience is fundamentally different than what we find that is the love of God that is first found in Jesus. And just as it is God who is working in them, a work that would be completed at the day of Jesus, it's a work that God has to do within us to produce His love, His kind of love. So let's look, if you can look with me, uh, turn to 1 John chapter 4. Starting in verse 7. His beloved, let us love one another. Love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. See, it, it's absolutely a connection. For us to love in the way that God loves, we have to know God. There's no other way that we can have the love that he's talking about that is abounding in the church of Philippi. In verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Well, we, we can't get this wrong. So we can read this and just take out God is love, and then we take our understanding and version of what love is, and we say, well, that defines who God is. No. It's totally the other way around. Love, that is truly love, 
God in himself defines what that is. And it's going to be something different than what we know and understand naturally because we can't know it. That's what it's told, told us here. We can't know it apart from God. So we need to get to know God in order to understand the true definition of what love is and to find that in God, God is love. He fully defines what love is. In verse 10 it says, And this is love. Not that we have loved God. Wait, so let me go back to verse 9. <laughs> uh, in, this is love, in this, the love of God was manifest among us. What does that mean, manifest? It, this, is, this is how the love of God, this love that's different that we can't know apart from knowing God, how the love of God was shown among us here on earth. How was the love of God manifest among us? that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a fancy word that means he sent his son to satisfy God's wrath for our sin, for Jesus to stand in place of us. Because we deserved the wrath of God for our sin, for rejecting God, for rebelling against God. But Jesus was the propitiation. He stood in our place to take on himself the wrath of God. So begin to understand a little bit about what the love of God is when we look to Jesus. And when we meet Jesus, for the first time, we see what real love is. And it's not what we've known, love, in our life before that. Turn with me to John chapter 15. In verse nine, this is Jesus speaking. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So just as the Father has loved the Son of God. Now Jesus has loved us. He says, abide in that, live in that, be in that, stay in that. Well, how do I abide in your love, Jesus? Well, he continues, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So in the same way that Jesus perfectly followed the will of the Father and did what the Father had for him to do, he was abiding in the love of the Father. Now he's saying, I want you to perfectly obey and follow what I have for you to do, and that is how you're going to abide in my love, just as I have abided my father's love. And we start thinking, wait a second, that doesn't sound as nice as it started out sounding. All this love stuff was great, but now you're talking about commandments. Why, why am I going to want to do that? Well, he tells us why. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I don't fully understand it yet, Jesus, but I'm going to trust you that if I follow you and I'm obedient to your commandment, that that will be abiding in your love. And then it's gonna result in the depth of your joy filling me. So what is your commandment, Jesus? 
What is the commandment that you have for me? Continuing, uh, this is my commandment, he says, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one in this so that someone lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus laid down his life for us. He says, now I want you to lay down your life for those around you. Really, Jesus? Lay down my life? What does it mean to lay down my life for those that are around me? That, that is his commandment. Let me tell you a little bit about my life. Let's see. It's my second time to try doing props. We'll see how this goes. David's life. Got a bunch of stuff here. Well, on the rope. We have to deal with the rope. This is the sin in my life. Don't really like to talk about it, but. And this can represent for any of us whatever that private sin is that we don't really want to talk about. Uh, for me, it was pornography. That, that was the big sin in my life. There's plenty of other sins too. It could be lying. It could be... Uh, at work, cutting corners. It could be abuse, substance abuse. It could be any number of things that we look to to kind of satisfy ourselves and we're not real proud of. And, and we're not real proud of them, so, so we hide them. And so this is, this is what, what David has done for all his life, is to hide. We don't want to see that. We don't want to talk about that. And you know what? We, do, we really need to, to protect those tender areas. And so we kind of build this callousness, and, and we don't... Whoops. That's right. It's been a long time since I put this thing on. We need to guard against anyone getting into that area. So we hide it callousness in my life to kind of protect against anyone getting into those tender areas I'm not proud of. Um, but you know what? There are things I am proud of, so I want to make sure people know those. You know, that's, this is who, who David really is. I've got three gold medals from World's Tournament, Taekwondo. That was, that was awesome. This is who David is. This is who I want the world to see David is. There we go. Yeah, that's who I am. There's, there's my identity. I want the world to see that. So, so that's great. And, and I, I do all these great things. You know, I've got, I've got a 401k and, and, and I've got life insurance and I've got investments and my retirement's going to be taken care of. So, so I'm going to slap those on. Those are good for people to know that I have. They're kind of out there. That's great. What else? Well, you know, you start learning in life how to take care of yourself. Life isn't easy. And so I've learned in business and in life and situations, you know, how to, how to make it, to, to fight back a little bit to be able to not have people take advantage of me. I've got some roughness, some toughness there. That's part of, 
part of who I am. Um, and you know, there, there's tons of things that, that are my life. And I can start putting things uh, into this backpack that represent, you know, the, and some of them are deep. Some of them I don't even think about so much anymore. But, you know, there was that, there was that time when I was a kid on the soccer field and, and my friend was just, he was laughing about me. I don't remember anything else about him except those words that he said that were so hurtful. And so that's, I never want to have that ever happen to me again. And, and I'm kind of holding on to that because that hurt. And I want to make sure I don't, I don't see that ever in my life again. And you know what? I'm pretty strong and I can take care of myself. And so my strength, I'm going to carry with me. That's, that's what I need is my strength. What else do I have in here? You know, I keep a record of every time someone really kind of screws up, really does something against me. It's a nice, you know, if, if they ever come against me for something that I've done, then, then, then I can get these out and really cut them back because I can bring up that thing from the past that they did. And so maybe even from my wife, you know, there's, there's things that, that she's done where she failed. So if she ever gets on my case about something, you know, I can... I can get one of these out and, you know, she won't be able to hurt me with that because I've got my own, you know, put those in there. Um, you know, what's this? Maybe this is sarcasm. This is, this is uh, something I can keep people at a distance. I, I, can, I, I can, you know, not let people get too close because I've been hurt when people get close. So I, I keep that in there and, and I don't want to get rid of that. Um, you know, this one, you know, maybe this is from all the times I beat people down to make myself look better. And, uh, you know, there's a little bit of guilt with this one. Um, but I might want to get it out again sometime because I need that. Um, what else? You know, I've got, I've got my time, you know. It, what I do with my time, and, and, and it's my time, uh, and, and it's part of my life, and it, it's what, what I need to use for my purposes. I've, I've got my own uh, time, time for entertainment, my own time uh, for me time, and, and so uh, that's an important part. And, you know, I got these drumsticks. Um, I can beat my own drum pretty good, and, and I get really good at telling the stories about me and, and my accomplishments, because that's who I am, and I, I want people... To see that and to know that. So this uh, is me. This is my life. And apart from Christ, not only do I have this, I have the shield. I can't see through. It's darkness because of my sin. I'm separated from the one who created me. In fact, I'm rebellious and, and, and against the one who created me. And for him to challenge any of this, I know how to resist that. And, and so the, this shell that I am, it, this is my life apart from God, apart from Christ. But then in one act of love, Jesus sent his son to die on the cross 
and to pay for the sin that I'm in. You know, a lot of this stuff is just, it's the, it's the result of sin. Fundamentally, there's sin in my rejection of God. And Jesus died on the cross. And this light entered the world. Spiritually, a blinding light. But a light that then when I came to know Christ, shone into my life and exposed the sin exposed my need for God, and it showed me his love for me. The real love for the first time in my life, to see the love of God in my life. And in faith now, I said, Jesus, here I am. Me. This is me. And he says, I love you. And he says, trust me. And so now this life can be crucified with Christ. Just as Christ was crucified on the cross, this life can be put to death. And he's got a whole new life. And his spirit enters the very innermost part of my being, inside of this shell, inside of the hiding, inside of everything. The spirit of God enters my life and begins a work. And I can tell you, church, that a lot of this stuff has existed in my life even as one saved by Jesus. The Spirit of God is in my life, working, showing me, David, I'm your advocate. You don't need these. You don't need to fight back. You don't need to stand up for yourself because I'm gonna stand up for you. He says, David, this isn't who you are. You're my child. You are my representative and ambassador for Jesus to the world around you. What are you doing with these? Your identity is in me. Let's put those down. How much of my life do I lay down in following Jesus? Look, in Matthew chapter 16, What did Jesus say to his disciples? In verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Does that even make sense, Jesus? Yes, it does, because if I say, no, Jesus, I'm going to hold on to all this. I, I see the promise that you have of life that's in you and your salvation, but I can't let go of this. And I never come to that point of saying, my life is yours. Well, I'm just going to lose it. Because we've, we've already seen these things aren't going, to, aren't going to work. And our experiences, they're not going to work. As much as we strive after joy and happiness in this life with all of this that we have and protecting ourselves and it doesn't work and ultimately we face a holy God without the righteousness of Christ. I try to save my own life, I'm gonna lose it. But if I lose my life, all of it, for Christ and lay it down, he has new life for me. And over time, he renews. 
He helps me to peel off those pieces. He helps me to dig deep and find that rock. And speak truth into that part of my life. And say, what that person said, that's not who you are. Here's the truth of who you are in me. And he says, David, I don't want you to keep a record of wrongs. I don't want you to be lashing out. That's not love. See, I want you to love others in the way that I have loved you. That, that doesn't happen with these. You don't need to protect yourself with these. I'm going to protect you. You don't need to fear. Don't need to beat my own drum. I don't need to keep people at arm's length. You know, we do that sometimes because there's fear. I don't want somebody to get close. When someone gets close, that can hurt. And maybe it will hurt. But my trust is now in Christ. I'm holding on to Christ. He says, lay down that. Again, Jesus is my advocate. I don't need to beat others down to make myself greater. My life belongs to him. Now my time belongs to him. Entertainment, everything else, it, it all is in his hands for his purpose. And it's no longer in my strength, praise the Lord, that I live. So I can lay that down. You know, we continue to carry this our whole life. That work is not gonna be complete until the day of Jesus. But boy, this pack keeps getting lighter over time. Praise the Lord. And there's those difficult places that Jesus takes us. And it can take time. For me, it took 20 years to trust him. Because it's a fearful thing to get rid of the shell. It's a fearful thing to not hide to say to the ones that you've hurt, here's my sin. <laughs> and Jesus says, I already paid for it. I already took the punishment for that sin. Now walk in the light. We don't need to hide. We don't need to fear. So do I lay down all of my life? Yes. Abundant love. Well, how about that 401k? You know what? Not a bad thing to be a good steward. But I'll tell you what Jesus starts to do in your life is he changes your idea, idea of what retirement looks like. What is my life for? It's no longer about me. I'm laying my life down for Christ The stewardship looks different. My purpose looks different. Everything, the purpose of what my life looks like is completely different. And so I have spent most of this time on this one point that it's found in Jesus, abundant love. And that is the most important point. I 
I was in my own life, in darkness, with sin and every fear and every provision to take care of myself. And then in one act of love, God provided life, new life. All right, in verse nine, uh, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Knowledge and all discernment. That's coming out of love. See, when we try to produce love from our own knowledge, our own discernment, our own wisdom, uh, that, that's what the Pharisees did. Matthew gives an account of the Pharisees, and, and it's the account when Matthew was called by Jesus. And, and he says, Matthew, who was a tax collector, they're thought of as the bad guys. He says, follow me, and, and he followed him. Jesus was pretty commanding. And, and so then that, that later, Jesus is there dining, reclining with, with Matthew, and Matthew invites his other tax collector friends. So now you've got all these Tax collectors, sinners that Jesus is hanging out with and the Pharisees who are the religious leaders who know they have the wisdom and the knowledge and the discernment of what is okay to do and how you worship God and what is proper. Say, why is Jesus hanging out with these tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus hears what they're saying and his response is to quote from the prophet Hosea and he said, go understand what this means. And they, they are experts in scripture, they would have known what he's quoting from. Look with me real quick in the book of Hosea, chapter six, in verse six. I get there real quick. Uh-oh. There it is. It says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. Or translated into the Greek, when Jesus was quoting it, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than bird offerings. They were experts in the law. They knew it. They had their perspective. Here's the second point, is that abundant love sees as God sees. What are our ideas of who is okay to love? Who is it that's deserving of love? You know, we live in a culture right now in the United States that's very divided politically. And there's a, there's a lot of other ways that we're divided. We're, we're divided, and one of the things I love about Hope Church is God's brought two languages, multiple cultures together to just show the glory of God and, and what God does in the lives of people united in him. We have real divides, and so when we are considering, how do I love? Jesus said, I want you to love others as I have loved you. Now we're still qualifying who's worthy of love. And we're qualifying, you know, based on how they receive our love. I've done this great, this great sacrifice for you, and if we don't think that it was received well, then well, you're not deserving of that. And so, you know, our, our pride is hurt. We've missed it. We're not seeing as God sees. There's no discrimination in God's love. Is our love the same? So abundant love sees as God sees. When I um, was without Christ, or even times in my life so wrapped up in myself and my own protection, I wasn't seeing as God sees. I was seeing through the lens of everything that, that I needed to protect myself. 
And before Christ, I, I came to Christ at a young age, so I don't have a lot of uh, older experience without having Christ in my life. But we can't see as God sees apart from the work of God in our life. And so, through this one act of love, God sent his son Jesus to shine light into my life and to open my eyes to see as he sees. And it's an obedience to him walking in the path of love that he has for me that now my eyes will truly be open. So we need to walk in that love to see as God sees. All right, continuing in verse 10. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Next point, abundant love approves godly behavior. It approves godly behavior. Turn with me um, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The behavior of love. In verse four, it says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, and it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. That word for resentful, literally in the Greek, is to, is to count up wrongs. That was my, um, my weapons there. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Do we value these? Because the direction in my life is very clear. What God has for me to do is to love with the love that he loved me. That, if I need to just break it down, God, what do you have for me to do? That's it. And these are the behaviors of love. So in practice, in my life, are these things that I value? Are these things that I'm convicted by when they don't exist? With my kids, is patience a value? Do I realize when I'm impatient with my kids that I am not walking in God's will to love my kids with the love that he has loved me? How about in the checkout line in H-E-B? Is there kindness? Is there patience? How about in finding a parking spot at H-E-B? Or how about in the middle of traffic when that when you got that person who they did it all wrong and, and now they're cut, trying to cut through and, and you are ready to show them how they did it all wrong. Maybe the parking lot that is 35. And, or maybe you've got that long line to get off the freeway and someone just, oh, I forgot, I didn't realize. And they go to the very front and they try to cut in. Is there ever a time that we don't value, that we feel somehow that we have righteousness in not loving a person and not having these behaviors in our life. And are we convicted when they aren't there? It's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. Boy, these are things God has dealt with me over time. Boy, he has dealt with me over time. Abundant love approves godly behavior. 
So where I was before Christ, I had my own sense of justice, my own sense of what's right and wrong, my own sense of what people deserved and how I needed to put that out. And through one act of love, God opened my eyes to what true love is. And he called me to a purpose of love. And it fundamentally changed all of that. Continuing in verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. The fruit of righteousness. If I'm walking in obedience to the, to the one commandment that Jesus has given me, I am walking in righteousness. It is righteousness. Walking in abundant love is, is the means for us to produce righteousness in our life. What is the fruit of righteousness? I love the fruit of righteousness. Real quick, I'm gonna jump over to Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 17, and it says, prophesying to the future, the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. That word for trust could be translated security forever, eternal security. The fruit of righteousness, as I'm obeying what, what my Lord and Savior has told me to do, to love others, and my eyes are being opened, and, and I'm seeing a whole new way of looking at, at, at the world around me, and there's righteousness being produced in my life, I find peace. I've left all of that stuff behind. Peace was not found in what David was carrying but I've found peace. What else do we find in the fruit of righteousness? Well, Jesus gave it to us in his reason why we should follow him. It's so that his joy would be in me and my joy would be full. The fruit of righteousness produces joy in my life, deep, profound joy, peace and joy. What else is produced in my life? Rest. And not just the rest that we think of because I'm tired and I need a nap. But it's the rest that was spoken of on the final day of creation when Adam and Eve got to experience the rest that God provided in the fullness of what he created. It's the rest that you had the Israelites looking into the land of Canaan, the promised land, and, and, and that was representing them entering God's rest. And because of their disobedience, they didn't get to fully realize what that is. But now us looking into the promise of what Christ has for us, the life that he has for us is his rest. And so, when I'm obedient, following God, to love others the way he has designed it, to lay down my life for my friends, for my enemies, for everyone that's around me. I experience the fruit of righteousness, peace, joy, and rest. My life over here was characterized by chaos, fleeting pleasure, constantly trying to find that thing that's gonna satisfy and not being satisfied, and weariness. But through one act of love, God has now produced peace, joy, and rest. It's real in my life. And finally, very end of this in verse 11, all of it to the glory and praise of God. That's what we were created for. 
That's why God created us. When, when we're following God and, and we've laid our identity past and we've laid all of our strength down and we say, it's in your strength, God. It's in your identity. It's for your cause and your purpose. And, and you are my advocate. So if, if, if I am, am put down and ridiculed, I'm just gonna praise the Lord because I am being ridiculed in the name of Christ and I am sharing in the suffering of Christ. And so all glory goes to Christ. All of this is the glory and praise of God. My experience has been a journey. This doesn't just all happen at once. In fact, it's not done yet. This pack is still on my back and there's still stuff in it. And there's stuff that I don't even realize is in it. And that's why I go to God's word. That's why I seek God's, God's purpose in my life. That when Luke uh, gave the account of when Jesus was saying um, that if you want to follow me, you need to take up your cross daily, uh, deny yourself, and, and follow me. It said, it's, he put in the word daily in, in the book of Luke. It's something we've got to do every day. And taking up my cross does not mean adding another load to my back. It's in the context of denying myself, of putting to death the old person, of crucifying the old person. Taking up my cross means laying down my old life, crucifying it with Christ. What happened after Christ was crucified? He was raised again from the dead. And it's in his power of his resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit working in me, that now I have new life. So daily practice, God, what are you walking me through? What's God walking you through in your life right now? What keeps you up late at night? What won't leave your head as you're going through conversations or or fears, or what the future holds, or uncertainties. You realize God uses those things to help show us what's in our backpack, to help show us what we're holding on to, and what we need to lay down, and so that our focus, instead of being here, becomes completely those that are around us. In the strength of Jesus, Holy Spirit working in our lives. You know, we, uh, we're not in this alone. And it's not only the case that God has called us to love each other as a church in this way, uh, but as a church, together, we are to love community around us. We are to be representatives of Christ to our neighbors and those around us. And uh, we did something just a couple weeks ago where we invited a lot of the leadership uh, into um, Steeplechase right here, this, this neighborhood, and we just walked the streets. We, we paired up into groups and we did prayer walking. And all that is, is you're walking the streets and you're praying for what you see, praying over our neighbors. And we want to begin that way as we're looking at what God has us to do in loving our neighbors. And it's a wonderful thing for us to set our hearts right before God and, and to do this together as a church. Um, we are gonna put together a prayer walk on Friday, this upcoming Friday uh, before dark. It'll probably be around seven o'clock. Um, usually it takes about an hour, uh, and we'll call it done. Last time we did, when we did that, nobody wanted to leave, and so we were done, and we were there till like nine o'clock. But done in an hour. Um, if you've never done it before, wonderful. Um, it, it's a great experience to just, if it is outside your comfort zone, maybe it's not. Um, but to get together with other believers and pray for our communities. We're gonna, we're gonna take different sections 
um, of, of communities around here in East Kyle um, and begin to pray over our neighbors and to see what we're praying for firsthand. So uh, that is a way that we can love, begin to love. Um, there's much more I'm sure that God will call us to do as a body to love on our neighbors because this is what he's called us to individually and corporately. You guys can come, come on up to worship. This next, the song that we're gonna end with um, is focused on Jesus, his love. And, and we find everything that we need for the purpose that he's called us to in Christ. So let's just worship together, worship Jesus and if you could consider while we're doing that, what is something that God's working in your own life that you could lay down at the foot of the cross so that you're better able to fulfill the purpose that he has for you to love people that are in your life? Let's worship together. Father, we worship you. Jesus, we worship you. I can say with Paul how thankful I am for the love that I see in this body already. God, and we know that it's there because you've opened our eyes to your love. You've put into our hearts a desire to love those around us at any cost to ourselves. God, I pray you grow that, that your love would abound more and more in the people of Hope Church such that it would be felt by the community around us, that it would be felt beyond what we can see, even beyond the borders of Kyle. God, we know your purpose that you have in our, in our lives individually and for us as a church, and we want to follow you in that. It is so good to follow you, Jesus, and the life that you have in us does produce peace in a world that doesn't know peace. It produces joy in a world that doesn't know joy, and it produces rest, your rest. God, as we walk in your strength, I pray you would be glorified in us. We love you, and we pray in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.